Psalm 20. What we're going to do is share some thoughts out of Psalm 20 for the new year, and then we're going to take communion as is fitting this time. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen. We have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. Lord, we pray for the new year coming up upon us as we know it begins tomorrow. Standing now on the brink, looking back, looking ahead. We think of your words to your people when you were bringing them into the new land You said, this is a different kind of a land. It is a land that the Lord your God is giving you. The eyes of the Lord your God are upon it from the beginning of the year even to the end. So, Lord, as your eyes are upon us from the beginning to the end, we stand here today declaring that you have been so faithful as you've looked after us this past year, and we anticipate now what you would do in us and through us in the year ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man who was losing his memory, and so he went to his family doctor. And the family doctor examined him and said, Well, I really can't help fix the memory problem without impairing your eyesight. So you have a difficult choice. Do you want to remember or do you want to see? The choice is yours. And the man thought about it for a while. And he said, I will take my eyesight over my memory, for I would rather see where I am going than remember where I've been. Now, there's a lot of people like that every new year who just want to forget completely about the past altogether and just look where they may be going. We are odd creatures. We complain all year long about the state of the world, what's going on around us, the problems that we face, And yet, every year at this time, we celebrate. It's an odd kind of a ritual. It can only mean that we have a hope that things will get better. And that's why we gather and we even celebrate or talk about a new year. Because we hope, I hope this year will be different. I hope things around me get better. And I hope things in my personal life might change. We have a tradition at our house now. We've done it for a number of years, so it, I think, qualifies as a family tradition. On Christmas Eve, we take an old sack, a brown paper sack, and each of us write something in our lives that we want God to change. Not something in other people's lives, in the general world, but it's more of a confession. Something that I see that is a problem, I want God to change in me. And so we write that down on a brown paper sack. And we put it out, put it by the fireplace. The next morning, 
Nathan wakes up to find three shiny gift packages, sacks, but the shiny kind that you put gifts in, and it's filled with stocking stuffers and things. The idea is you give God the old, and God is the God who transforms the old into something brand new. And so it's become our tradition in hopes that that flaw or that thing in our life, God will change and make it better. Now, I want to make a confession this morning as we open up Psalm 20, uh, looking at the title, Trusting an Unknown Future to a Known God. I ripped off that title. I didn't come up with it. I ripped it off from a quotation that I once read that Corey Ten Boom, the survivor of the Holocaust, said. She said, my advice is you should never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's good advice, isn't it? Because you don't know what lies ahead of you this year, do you? You can make prognostications, but they'll probably be inaccurate. But God knows your future and you know God. So trust your unknown future to a known God. Now, why Psalm 20? Psalm 20, I think, is particularly appropriate for us as we look at the new year. Because it is a battle hymn. It was a song sung by Israel before they went out to fight. In fact, Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 are sort of a package deal. Psalm 20 is a prelude to war. Psalm 21 is a postscript to war. The children of Israel would sing it antiphonally between they and their leaders before battle. The king would sing Psalm 21 after the battle after the victory was won. The thought of Psalm 20 is particularly appropriate as we celebrate communion. I think the general thought of this psalm is that we should always kneel before we fight. Going into a battle, we should do so reverently. Always kneel before we fight. Now this psalm, Psalm 20, falls into three natural divisions as I see it. First of all, it's filled with anticipations. May the Lord do this and may the Lord do that. It moves then from anticipation into a second phase I call convictions. This is what we will do. This is what God will do. This is what I know will happen. And then finally, the last phase of Psalm 20 is what I call decision phase. Because of what we hope for and because of what we know God is like, Therefore, we make a decision to trust in the Lord our God. Let's look at, first of all, the anticipations for the new year. And the first thing that you can anticipate, that you can hope for, is answers in times of trouble. Look at verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Now, right off the bat, trouble is mentioned because the king is about to go into battle. And right from the beginning the children of Israel realized there is a battle on our hands. One thing you can be rest assured of, though I'm sure it's not a comfort to you right off the bat, is that you're in for a fight this year. You're in for some trouble this year. You say, that's a negative confession. How can you say that? Well, just look back. Has it been a smooth road? Has it been all a bed of roses? No. God's been faithful. But if you're any kind of thinking person... You must say, God has been faithful through the good times and the bad. So there will be times of trouble. In fact, Job said, man is born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. Somebody once said, life is simply the process of getting used to the things you never planned. 
So many Christians forget that as long as we are in this world, we are on a battleground. There is a war going on. Now, there are some who don't like to talk about it. They think, well, I should be exempt. I'm a good person. I'm a child of God. I love what the Reader's Digest said. There was a little quip that I found in it that said, expecting bad things not to happen to you just because you're a good person, well, it's a lot like expecting an angry bull not to attack you just because you're a vegetarian. (laughs) He's no respecter of persons. And Jesus said, the sun and the rain will fall on the just and the unjust alike. Moreover, I think the more faithful a Christian you are, the more hassled a Christian you become. Satan and his minions see you as a walking target. And when you make that stand, I want to be faithful to God this year. I want to walk and serve the Lord. Well, Paul the Apostle reminds us in Ephesians... Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Peter would echo his sentiments when he said, Be self-controlled, be alert, for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So if you're to size up the battle that you face, You're in a battle just because you live here on planet Earth. You're in a battle because you're a Christian. And you're also in a moral battle. You hold to a value system that is very different from what the world in general holds to. It's interesting, back in the 1960s, we thought there ought to be a revolution and we'll bring it. We'll revolt against society in general and we'll bring a new order freedom of expression, freedom of sexual expression, and on and on and on. Had we known where that would lead, I'm sure things would have been different. If you were to compare the 1960s to where we stand today, 30 years, there's been a 560% increase in violent crime, a 400% increase in illegitimate birth, a quadrupling in the divorce rate, a tripling in the percentage of children living in single-parent homes, and a 200% increase in teenage suicide rate. It's the battle that you're in. You face it today. There's been a crumbling, a breakdown of moral values. Yeah, let's just say that word. I know it's politically incorrect, but there has been a decline in that in our country. That's the battle you face. Russian-born Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in looking at the West, summed it up by saying, The West has undergone an erosion and an obscuring of high moral and ethical ideals. In fact, the spiritual axis of life has grown dim. Well, my prayer for you is that when you find yourself in that kind of trouble this year, you will call upon the Lord and that He will answer you. The second thing to anticipate is shelter in times of failure. Notice again Psalm 1, the second part, uh, Psalm 20, verse 1. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. That's a beautiful wish. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. But I'm a little bit uh, interested in why the term God of Jacob appears there. And it's important enough that I share it with you. Uh, The psalm begins, even before the first verse, saying, To the chief musician, a psalm of 
David. David wrote it. So why wouldn't David say, may the God of David defend you? That name, the God of David. But he doesn't do that. He calls it the God of Jacob. You say, oh, but that appears in the Bible. It does, but it's interesting why it appears. Remember who Jacob was? Jacob was the wheeler dealer. He was the manipulator. He was the conniver. He always tried to get more out of deals than was allotted him. He was also the man that wrestled with God. And God changed his name from Jacob, which means heel catcher, which came to mean conniver, to Israel. God said, that's going to be your new name because that represents a change of life. No longer will you be called conniver or heel catcher or somebody who trips another person. You will be called one who fights with God. You used to be one who fought against God. Now you're somebody who fights with God. That was the name change. And so we often find in the Old Testament the God of Israel as a term. But every now and then, God will refer back to the original name, the God of Jacob, the God of the failure. Not here the God of Abraham. Not here the God of Moses, the lawgiver, but the God of Jacob, the failure. It was always written to remind Israel of her roots that Israel has failed, but God is a God who restores. It's a beautiful way of writing it. What am I saying? I'll say this. You're going to fail this year. And it's no surprise to God when you do. When you fall flat on your face, God is going to go, I can't believe it. I mean, I trusted you. You let me down. It's no news to God. It might be news to you, but it's no news to God at all. This year, you will not attain moral perfection. This year, you will not plateau at spiritual perfection. You will not be able to say, I finally arrived in 1996. It won't happen this year. Even Paul the Apostle, after 30 years of walking with Christ, said, Not as though I had attained, nor were already perfected. But my prayer is that when you do fall flat on your face, that you will run right to God who will be your shelter. Because God, like a good dad, will wipe the dust off your knees and get you back on the road again. Being the God of Jacob, He is the God who restores people who fail. Alan Emery is a board member of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's from the East Coast. He says that one of his favorite childhood memories is when, as a child, the phone rang in his home and his dad picked up the phone and the guy on the other line said that there was a very prominent Christian man in their town who had just been found drunk on the sidewalk. What should be done? Alan Emery remembers his father sent a chauffeured limousine to pick him up, take him in the car while his mother prepared the guest bedroom for him to stay in. He said, My friend watched wide-eyed as the beautiful coverlets were turned down on the exquisite old four-poster bed, revealing the monogrammed sheets. But mother, he protested, he's drunk, and he might even get sick on the sheets. I know, his mother replied kindly, but this man has slipped and fallen. When he comes to, he will be so ashamed. He will need all of the loving encouragement that we can give him. 
He's the God of Jacob. You will not attain spiritual perfection, moral perfection. You're going to fall from time to time. doesn't mean that you should set yourself up to do it, but we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. My prayer is that you will go to Him for shelter. The next hope or anticipation found in verse 2 is strength in times of fellowship. May He send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Now the sanctuary was the place where the people met with God. It was the place of the temple. That's what the sanctuary was. And people would stream from all over and gather together in the sanctuary and they would sing psalms of praise and they would hear the word of God as it was being recited, much like people do when they come to church service. Hearing the songs about God and hearing the word of God did something. It adjusted the way they thought. They heard God's thoughts. Their perspective changed. That's what happens when we come to the sanctuary. Uh, Where we live in this world, we don't always see things for what they are. We get out of whack. We get our perspective a little bit askewed. When we come for public worship or private devotion every day and we open our Bibles, do you experience this, that your mind changes, your heart changes, you see things for how they really are, and you go, oh, Lord, thank you for revealing this. It really sets in perspective the things that have happened to me today or this week. Remember David? He said in Psalm 73, uh, I'll kind of retranslate it uh, so that it it makes more uh, contemporary sense. He goes, I was ticked off when I saw how unrighteous people prosper and how God's people suffer. It seemed to be incongruous that some of God's greatest saints were suffering so much and some of the most wicked people were prospering and healthy. He said, I almost slipped until I went into the sanctuary and I understood their end. It all came to perspective when I realized judgment and where these people were heading who were prospering apart from God. But it had to happen when he went into the sanctuary. There's an interesting trend that happens among some Christians. The moment things turn sour in their lives, they don't read their Bibles anymore. They don't go to fellowship anymore. I'll see some people after months and go, Oh, I haven't been to church for months. Good to see you. Well, why haven't you been for months? Well, I've been a little bit depressed lately and things have happened that are very bad in my life. Well, that's a good reason not to come to church. You should come to church all the more. You ought to read your Bible all the more. What do you do when your TV breaks? Well, you don't call me, that's for sure. I'll break it worse. You call a TV repairman. What do you do when you have physical problems? You call a doctor. What do you do when you have a pipe break? You call a plumber. Yet, there are people running around with depressed spirits, broken lives, worry, anxiety, and they have about three feet away from them an unopened Bible. All of those promises unclaimed in their lives There's Dr. Jesus willing to give out the medicine and we don't open up to him. We run away from him instead of to him. And really, that's a stupid way to live. Psalm 119, David said, The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Listen to what the 26th president of the United States, Woodrow Wilson, said. He said, I am sorry for men who do not read the Bible every day. I wonder why they deprive themselves of the strength and of the pleasure. It is one of the most singular books in the world, for every time you open it, some old text 
that you have read a score of times suddenly beams with new meaning. There is no other book that I know of of which this is true. There is no other book that yields its meaning so personally that it seems to fit so intimately to the very spirit that is seeking its guidance. Now let's move on from hopes or anticipations to convictions. And notice as we move on in the psalm how this thing changes from this is what I hope, may God do this, to this is what I know. May he remember all of your offerings, accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with saving strength and with his right hand. Now he says, there's a few things we hope for as we enter into this battle, but those things are based on what we know. We have certain convictions of heart. We know certain things. If I were to sum up the verses I just read, I would sum it up with the word salvation, because he mentions that. Salvation, or will you save us, or I know that God will save us. He talks about salvation. And it's based upon sacrifice. In fact, notice verse 3 one more time. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. The first conviction, as you look ahead to 1996, is that you are accepted based upon a sacrifice, not yours, but upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, in an Old Testament sense, what were the sacrifices? Well, lambs, goats, bullocks, cereal offerings, meal offerings. Israel brought them for atonement. But from a Christian perspective, we are accepted by God and we have standing because of a finished work of our Savior upon the cross. Now, that leads to another conviction. Knowing that I have standing before God, I can come any time in the name of Jesus. The second conviction is that God will answer my prayers because of that sacrifice. The first part, may God answer you in times of trouble. How do you know that He will? You can be rest assured today that God will answer your prayers because of a past finished work of Jesus Christ. So after the offerings are mentioned in verse 4, may He grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all of your purpose. That's another wish. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all of your petitions. But now notice verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven. You probably remember at this point what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. When he said, He that did not spare his only son, but freely gave him for us, how shall he not with him Freely give us all things. Because Jesus was given the best that God could give. God will freely give all things. So you will have assurance, conviction this year, that as you have right standing with God, you can pray and talk to God and you will have an audience with God and He'll answer your prayers. Now, keeping that in mind, let's think about the age-old practice of New Year's resolutions. Isn't it interesting? This time of the year, we appraise our lives and we come up with this thing called a resolution. I 
am making a resolution today. I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm making a resolution. I'm going to read the Bible and make it through all the way through this year. I'm not going to stop in Leviticus. I'm making a resolution this year. I'm going to treat my wife like a queen. I'm going to be more patient. Anytime you do that, you're doomed for failure. To make a resolution apart from the work of God in your life is only a promise based upon your power. And look at yourself and, and not as a knock. I'm just saying it's not easy to keep those promises. We have failed in the past. So let's turn it around. Instead of a New Year's resolution, let's make a New Year's prayer. Since I have standing with God because of a sacrifice accepted, and therefore God will answer my prayers, instead of saying, God, you can count on me this year. How about, God, I can count on you this year. And I'm praying, give me more patience. Help me to lose that weight. Help me to treat my wife and my children with more patience and love. But Lord, only by your grace, change me, O God. That's a conviction of heart that should lead to that kind of prayer. The third thing that you can have a conviction of or be assured of is joy. And it all makes sense, doesn't it? One leads to another because you have right standing with God based upon a past sacrifice. And you can pray to God at any time and He'll respond to you. It should cause joy to happen. That's why in verse 5, We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. I love that. How many of you are here on Thanksgiving Day? Raise your hand. We had a great service. It's my favorite service of all the services throughout the year. We sing psalms of thanksgiving. And we have kinships or individual families make banners. And the banners include something that you are thankful to God for, something God has done. And we lift those banners high and people march around the auditorium. And everybody gets to read them. God has been faithful and it's, it's a day of joy. A day of thanksgiving. My prayer for you this year is that your joy will be on the increase. After all, to not be joyful in following Jesus Christ is sort of a betrayal of the one who has forgiven us the great debt. We ought to be so filled with joy and we will rejoice in His salvation. Finally, and we close with this third point, there are some decisions to be made for the new year. And doesn't it stand to reason we have all these hopes, all these anticipations that rest upon what we know or certain convictions. And so it only makes sense that we should say in view of all that, I'm making a choice. I make a decision. Verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and have fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. To sum that up, I would say we have to make two decisions this year. The first decision is to be different from the world. Notice how this is phrased. Some do this and some do that. But we, as if to say, we won't do what they do. We will be different from the world and we don't care if they don't like it or if they do like it. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we. Romans 12 reminds us, do not be conformed to this world. I like the way the Phillips translation puts it. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. 
refuse to be just like the world is, to fit in with the world's standards, to be accepted by the world. Rejoice that you are different from them. Now, there is a tendency. Let's guard against it. There's a tendency for Christians, and I would say Christian churches especially, to want to take what's on the outside of the church and bring it on to the inside of the church, rather than taking what's on the inside of the church and taking it outside. We want to become chic and vogue and user-friendly instead of dispensing truth. Uh, somebody handed me a little uh, cartoon, Doonesbury, and uh, it, it's a uh, picture of a church, and the pastor's on the porch of the church. He has a cup of coffee in his hands, and he says, So little time, so many scheduled events. And then the church meeting takes place, and from inside the church he says, Okay, flock, I thought I would run through this week's activities. This Monday, of course, we have a lecture on nutrition from Kate Moss's personal chef. Tuesday and Thursday will be our regular 12-step nights. And then somebody says to the pastor, uh, Pastor Scott, would that be drugs or sex addiction? And the pastor says, drugs sex and sex addiction, we have cut down to nine steps. That's on Friday at 6.30 p.m., right after organic co-gardening. And then he says, also a special treat. Saturday night will be aerobic male bonding night. So bring your sneakers. Any questions? And somebody from the congregation says, yeah, I have a question. Is there going to be a church service? And he says, cancel. There was a conflict in the self-esteem workshop. Very sad. Very sad. We're different from the world, and I rejoice that we are. Instead of trying to pattern ourselves after their mold, we'll be different. And that brings us to our final choice, to trust in the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots summon horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now, this is what's wild. He's a king going to battle. And the nation says, you're going to battle. This is our hope. This is our conviction. This is our decision. Going to battle, the nation declares, we don't trust in horses or chariots. Does that mean they're going to go out without any horses or chariots? No, they have to. In fact, all of the wars of Israel, they had horses and chariots. But there's a difference between having them and hoping in them, trusting in them. David knew it's not enough to just bring my army men. I must trust in God for the victory. When I read those verses, I think of the sad plight of our nation. There was a time when the leaders, the military leaders, the political leaders were quick to express their trust in God to write on the currency in God we trust, to put it on every monument in every courtroom across the nation. And now there's not much talk about God. It's interesting how in Iraq they had a manger scene where I was at Christmas. And in Jordan they were singing Christmas carols. And yet in America you, you can't say even Christmas. You have to just say happy holidays and have reindeers as a public display, but no religious overtones. And so if we were to rewrite this verse, we might say, some trust in missiles and tanks. But we will trust in the Lord. Or maybe you could say, some trust in ancestry or education and degrees. But I'm going to rely on God. Or some trust in tranquilizers or methods. But we will trust in the Lord our God. 
This year, if you make it all the way through, it sounds like a long time, a whole year. Well, it's only about 8,784 hours or so. Not much time. How will you spend it? What choices will you make now for then? Will you say at the end of the year and then at the end of your life, like Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished the race? Or will you say, I am so regretful, I wish I could live it differently? Well, let's start off right today. That's why we have communion. Because we should kneel before we fight. Trust the unknown future to a known God, that God would go before us into battle. Kneel before we fight. Trust the unknown future to a known God, that God would go before us into battle.